Hello, and welcome back to Tomato Tomato. This is the third and final installment of episodes where I interview faculty at my high school. So last episode, we talked about what an accent means and what it communicates about a person. Now we're going to talk about the privileges accents elicit. With this episode, I'm going to be a bit more selective with which voices you'll hear, because a lot of my interviewees said the same things. Nearly everyone mentioned how Southern accents are often correlated to lower levels of intelligence, and that British accents stereotypically belong to more intelligent people. Phrases like sticking out, making too much noise, and blending in were used constantly. And while I am not one to get bored, I was getting both bored and frustrated. Because clearly, we all either unconsciously or consciously know which accents are associated with certain stereotypes, but we don't know why. And why don't we know why? Because no one's talking about it. I have never gone to a DEIJ assembly on linguistic profiling or sociolinguistics, ever, ever. And I go to a prep school. I have never had a class discussion about how accents evolve or how they give people privileges. And yet this topic is a topic that everyone can speak about, whether we know it or not. So let's start these interviews with an example of someone using their accent to further themselves. Let's hear a story from Mrs. Hamlet, who, again, went back to the U.S. for college after attending high school in London. So when I got to college, I was back in America, and I was trying very hard now to sound American again and blend in. I was never anxious to stick out because of my accent, you may have gathered. And so when I got back to an American college, I was very anxious to resume my American accent. Unless my British friends called, I did pretty well. One of my roommates had a very good friend who told everyone she was British. Then she and I met, and there was this slightly awkward, well, actually it was her mother who was British, and she was born and raised in upstate New York and really had not spent much time in Britain really at all, almost ever, and really wasn't British. But in the context of her life, she had been able to kind of pull this off. And so she had this very strong British accent, but it was wrong. Like, it didn't work. And she would say things, and I'd look at her. And I remember being out, you know, for pizza one night or something, and there was a candle on the table. And so she said, oh, will you hand me the matches? And I'm like, nobody says matches. She's like, oh, they do in Britain. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> and I remember still, I mean, that, that incident has stuck with me for you know, 30 years because it was so bizarre. I was like, what is wrong with this woman? But I realized she was trying to sort of credential up, right? She wanted to be noticed for having this yeah. exotic thing about herself. So she didn't find having me around particularly pleasing either because <laughs> I wasn't convinced by this totally bogus accent she had developed over the years. Uh, but she still has it. So now I guess it's not really bogus. Now I guess it's her own. But... The matches. I yes. love that. That's... Which is not a thing. That's so ridiculously <laughs> wrong. I just, yeah. Exactly. I was just stunned. I was like, what are you doing? But she had been sort of pretending to be British for so long that she believed she had this British accent. And kind of like, yeah, no, I don't think so. Not now. Now, because most of my interviewees mentioned the attractiveness of British accents, the sort of prestige that comes with British accents, I had to ask Mr. Robson why exactly British accents are so desirable. And so I'm sitting there talking to this man, and I'm like, why? Why? What exactly is whiteness? Could you articulate that for me? What exactly gives this vocal variety its prestige? And so he answers quite eloquently, I might add, in the following clip. I think it's really interesting how, you know, what's popular in America, what from England is popular in America, who is popular from England in America versus the other way around. And I get the sense that Americans are kind of 
you know, I've heard people say things like, oh, it's so quaint. Or like I've heard people say, does everyone in England live in a castle? It's like, well, no, but it's interesting that they have that perception because you think about Downton Abbey, you think about Harry Potter, you think about the exports from England to America. And what does that say about Americans' views of Britain? You know, with colonialism and, and kind of, you know, I don't want to go down the road of yeah, American independence, but it's kind of this tiny island country that plays a huge role in the last in the history of the last 1,000 years of the, of, the, of the world. I'm not proud of it as a Brit. You know, I find there's a lot of problems with all of that. But that plays into how England is viewed, even down to the, the climate and the green fields and, the you know, all of the kind of patriotic songs and all that stuff. So I think the royal family play a role in terms of that kind of mysticism or, like, I don't know if you want to call it romantic uh, association with this kind of Americans thinking, well, what, what is that? What does it mean? kind of looking positively on the differences as opposed to negatively on the differences. This episode brought to you by non-denominational hymnals in non-denominational churches with non-denominational priests, a.k.a. oxymorons. Thank you. Let's get on with the actual interviews and the questions that I asked everyone. The last question I asked my interviewees was, what sorts of privileges or limitations does your accent give you? So let's go back to Mrs. Hamlet and hear her answer to that question. As I've gotten older, I've become very conscious of how we do draw lines around certain kinds of accents. Mm -hmm. And I know that the accents I grew up hearing in North Carolina set my relatives at a disadvantage. They are felt to be less intelligent because of the accents they have. And so by the flip side of that, my accent, which is again, relatively neutral in some ways, it doesn't have as many broad distinguishing characteristics, is more apt to go unnoticed. Um, and that, when you combine it with the fact that I'm white and female um, and from a position of socioeconomic stability, allows me to sort of drift in and out of a situation without being noticed um, often. Um, that those markers all together give me a, a flexibility uh, that I wouldn't otherwise have because I'm not being judged as lacking, but I'm also not drawing attention to myself if I don't choose to in most situations. Um, because I still live in the Northeast, right? If I lived in a different part of the country, my accent would absolutely make me stick out. One of the things I find strange when I go to England, I don't consciously shift towards a British accent, but I know I do it. And it again allows me there to kind of not stick out. And so in a sense, I think for me, the accent has always been a, a way of not drawing attention rather than you know, so not a conscious effort to do that, but that I've sort of learned to chameleon into those two spaces because those are the places where I've spent most of the years of my life one way or another. I think as a child, I didn't realize the extent to which we judge based on accents um, and especially the extent to which we associate accents and IQ. Accents and social class is a whole other thing, but I think with that, there is this, and that's often spoken about. But I think we don't as often talk about the judgments we make about IQ. And I found it fascinating when I moved to England that my friends could so easily put people in little pigeonholes based on their voices, because to me, it was all just something unfamiliar. And it made me stop and think, what do we do in this country? Um, and to begin to be more conscious of that. But I do think that's still something we do a great deal, and that people who have certain accents have to be very careful about, because they are perceived first by how they sound. And I don't think we've gotten very good at realizing that those things, intelligence and accents, really don't track. This episode brought to you by 
People who like bacon. Aren't they insufferable? Moving on. Let's go to Mr. Lee and expand a little bit more on the types of privileges one can receive because of an accent. And pay attention towards the end of his answer to the specific vocab he uses. I think I get the benefit of the doubt that I'm not that I'm not viewed as this other person of color who might be too black or too brown. Uh, I think just from my voice. Um, I think that also happens just when people see me uh, as an Asian. I think my accent and dialect also would suggest that like I've gone to school, I'm not dumb, and, and probably kind of grew up in some privileged middle class, upper class kind of background. It, it's interesting to reflect on my life and how I've had probably different accents and dialects uh, I grew up in Canada, and when I moved to Michigan, uh, people would comment how I had a Canadian accent, which I didn't even know was a thing. And then when I went to college in Pennsylvania, people would comment how I had like the long Midwestern A's, like bagels and plastic. And again, I wasn't aware of that. And, and then I've lived in Boston, I've lived in the South, and I wouldn't say I ever picked up those accents, but I have an ear for them. I, I can kind of kind of fake my way through them if needed. But yeah, the, I think it's a fascinating topic and, and there's so much judgment that comes with how people sound. I don't, I think of more like, I don't sound like this and I don't sound like that. Therefore, this is safe. This is good or okay or passing, I guess. Just to reiterate, the last few words Mr. Lee used there were safe, good, okay, or passing. Passing. I mean, seriously, the analysis here is almost too easy. Because generally, in my everyday life, I hear the word passing when people talk about race, not so much about dialect or accent. But if passing in this context is just blending in, then everyone I spoke to is trying to pass as normal or as someone who's not dumb, not poor, not an immigrant, etc., etc. Let's go to Mrs. Jacobs to talk about what being able to blend in means, both in theory and also in practice. Yeah, so being able to put on an American accent just lets me blend in. You know, I don't immediately present as someone who is from a foreign country. I can be assumed in all sorts of ways to have had similar growing up experiences to everybody around us. But yeah, I don't, no one assumes I'm not American. Which, yeah, affords me a certain level of privilege in some scenarios and is sad for me in other scenarios. And I think having now trained myself into one accent so that I can blend in, I will now pick up other accents really easily. And I actually have to be conscious of it because in some cases that's super inappropriate. But like if I'm talking to some some of my teammates from college are um, local and have like the Massachusetts accent all the way and I find when I'm talking with them, all of a sudden I have this thick Massachusetts accent. I'm like, I'm here. That's not mine. Um, but whoever I am speaking with, I can kind of mirror whatever speech patterns they're engaging in to kind of, because I think it makes people, I always feel more comfortable. Like my favorite communications are with usually the cafeteria staff on the boat as we're going home, because they're usually folks from my home, like not my hometown, but the town next to us. And so I'm like, I can hear them. I'm like, I'm almost there. Um, So I think there's some comfort in speaking with somebody who speaks similarly to the way that you do. And so I think that we're inclined to kind of meet each other in those places and 
it now comes more naturally to me, I guess, to kind of just blend wherever I am. Many people up until now have mentioned how we're on this trajectory worldwide where distinct accents are kind of fading out because people are traveling around a lot more. So for a second, I want to ask you to imagine a world where everyone could blend in and assimilate wherever they are. What would that world look like? Would you want to live in it? What if we all had the same accent? Would that be a world you wanted to live in? Next, we're going to hear from Dr. Funes and Ms. JB. And although I didn't ask them directly the questions I just asked you, they're both going to speak about the consequences of being able to blend in, to pass, and to sound white. That's a good question. I mean, I think we're both educators. So mm -hmm. if I'm speaking in Spanish, I speak very slowly and I enunciate very clearly. You are a performer and you're mm -hmm. the coach. Do the same. Coach. And so when I speak French, I think, I think I do the same about, you know, in terms of enunciation and mm. length. And I will say the lack of accent benefited me greatly as an actor. Oh, right. For yeah, sure. Yeah. So I can go from Shakespeare to, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, any region of the United States with a little work on an accent. I can pick it That's up and then portray it. Your linguistic canvas. Well, blank. only because I'm a blank slate. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know, perhaps someone else would say I do have an accent and I'm not aware. Someone from a different region. I mean, I just picked yeah. the South because that to me is is the most identifiable. Yes. I mean, there might be other aspects of, I mean, Boston certainly, but it's hard mm -hmm. to imitate for me. Boston, I know. Sometimes I say things like, I mean, I don't know, hi, how are you? I mean, I can't, it's so hard to... <laughs> My kids will pick up when I do something like that. I mean, that's actually where you grew up. Any I think I avoided up? it. You avoided it. I think I avoided it and I did not frequent those who had Boston accents. <laughs> like Dorchester or Dedham. Nada. Oh, isn't that interesting? So and I grew up at Milton Academy. Yeah, yeah, Those yeah. are my formative years and there were no, I didn't have friends with accents. I think what you're pointing to there yeah. is that people with more money yeah, can yeah. avoid accents mm -hmm. that are associated with lower class mm -hmm. status. That edu I mean, yeah, because yeah. this is something that's so fascinating, but it's like they used to teach accents in schools. They used to teach the transatlantic accent, you know, like old movies, 1930s. Wow. Right? But George, I don't know if I yeah, can yeah. Be right. Yes. Yeah, right, that to Catherine Hepburn. So they would teach that in elocution classes, like in Tremendous British class. boarding schools, in, in, in New England boarding schools. It was, mm -hmm. like a, it was like a thing that was taught. So it was like class, right. like accent. Yeah. That changed, obviously. But to this day, if you sound educated, typically means you sound more white, mm -hmm. which is what a lot of linguists that kids mm -hmm. has to do with. Yeah. You sound whiter and have sort of the standard American accent, which is more Midwest, as you were talking about. Yes. yes. Oh my gosh. And yes. my parents thought that was the greatest thing ever that we didn't have an accent. Yeah. And then when I went to college, I wanted to have more of an accent because no one believed oh. me that I was Latina. <laughs> wow. Like, well, you really? sound white. I mean, look at you. And I would dress in my little preppy clothes or whatever I would wear. And my name is yeah. Maricela Funes growing up in central Illinois and yeah. then going to University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. I mean, I was like, I'm going to cut you away. You know, I mean, I, I should have had more of an urban, like stereotypically Latina accent, but I grew up in a, ta a small town. Yep. Yeah. I just think it's fascinating that we can sound where we look. We can sound white. 
We can sound we can. the way we look. Like, do I look white? No. But mm -hmm. I sound I sound like I have no distinguishing characteristics. Incluso cuando yo hablo español, o sea, yo sueno como el, la mitad del país en Argentina. Mi acento en español no tiene nada distintivo. Right. There's nothing distinctive right. about my Spanish. And I think it's I sound regional. very similar. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not from Buenos Aires. It's right. not from, yeah, it doesn't have, I mean, I've been away from Argentina long enough. That when, when Argentinians meet me, they ask me if I'm Chilena. Are you Chilean or Colombian or, yeah. Really? No mm clue. -hmm. So interesting. Right? Well, your point you is that accents create belonging. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Or the absence of or the absence of yeah. belonging. So that I find yeah. that when I really embraced my mother tongue with Creole, having this on accent or sounding white, whatever that mm -hmm. is, mm -hmm. didn't help me in using the language. Mm. So I I had to I had to adjust my speaking patterns mm -hmm. to really get to sound authentically Haitian. Oh yeah. When I speak Creole. They can still tell. You know, they can tell I can't get it all out. But <laughs> can you imagine fine. if you were in Haiti? I'd be like, where are we? Oh, going? oh boy. <laughs> like, I'd be I'd be in real trouble. They'd be like all right, folks, that is it for now. This was the third and final installment of episodes where I interview faculty at my high school. However, the podcast is not over, nor will it ever be, so long as I am living and breathing and a sentient human being. So please stay tuned for the next episode where I will interview a professor at the University of New Mexico, Professor Luke Gordon. So stay tuned for that. See you next time. Bye.